Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Beacon. So glad you guys are, are here today. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, so uh, this summer at Beacon, we're taking several weeks here on Sundays to talk about who we are as a church and, and who we want to be as a church uh, as we see scripture kind of calling us to be. And so we're, we're going through the mission, vision, values uh, of Beacon as we've kind of uh, distilled them from the scriptures. And uh, this week, because I, I get the opportunity to speak, uh, I'm going to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. See, my title at Beacon is the Pastor of Discipleship. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about gospel-centered discipleship. Uh, our lead pastor, Robert, he's uh, down in North Carolina right now. And he's working on his, his doctoral studies, and he was in a class earlier this week about discipleship. And so, uh, because he's such a good student, he texted me during his class, uh, which if you're a student, you shouldn't do that. Uh, he texted me during his class, and he asked, you know, do you have a, like a working definition of discipleship that you use uh, when you're, you're training disciple makers and everything? And uh, so I responded with, with a very... Uh, you know, I feel like I've come to a pretty solid definition of discipleship. It's very rich and nuanced, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's a little long, so let me see if I can get the word incorrectly. So discipleship is, uh, and you might want to jot this down. Uh, I'm going to try to, I forgot to put it, uh, it's becoming like Jesus, Period. That's it. Uh, so it's not, it's not really a very complicated idea. Discipleship is, is just becoming like Jesus. So, uh, you know, Jesus even said a student, when they're fully trained, the whole point is that they will become like their masters. And so we're followers of Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. The whole point is that we will become like Jesus. And, and what's so cool is that this is possible. Uh, I grew up in the church, uh, not here at Beacon, but another church, and, and have been able to visit all sorts of different churches and known Christians from all over the globe and, and even travel. And, and what's so cool is I have met Christians, followers of Jesus, who actually look like Jesus, like their lives start to resemble Jesus in remarkable ways, not just in, in you know, the small little everyday things, yes in those, but even in the, the larger lifestyle decisions that they make, you look at them and you say, wow, that, that looks like Jesus. You know, even uh, a few weeks ago, we showed a video by uh, Bob Goff. You guys might remember that video. You, you watch him. You hear his stories about what he's doing and, and the way he's loving his enemy. And you see that, and you're like, well, that guy looks like Jesus. Uh, or I, I think of my friends Andrea and Jesse. Uh, I grew up with Andrea. I've known her for a long time. But uh, about a decade ago, Andrea and Jesse decided that they were going to move to northern Uganda for five years. Uh, and, and this area in northern Uganda, it, it was a, a war-torn area, not a lot uh, going on. There's a lot of need. And so they came to, to work alongside locals to help with sustainable farming practices and community re redevelopment. And uh, they started a medical clinic there that, that continues to see 
uh, hundreds of people every month, and, and they had the opportunity to bring the love of Jesus to just countless people while they were there. And, and it was at a, a tremendous cost to them. Like, they had a, a young daughter, like a baby uh, at the time, and they, they up and moved to northern Uganda. And while they were there, Andrea gets pregnant again. She has her second kid. And, and there was an electrical storm. So uh, the power was out. They weren't able to get to a hospital. So she gave birth by candlelight in a grass hut in northern Uganda. And she's like, whoa, <laughs> why, why do people do this? And yet you look at the picture and you say, oh, here's somebody who, who walked away from the, the comfort and security of their home to go to a distant land to bring healing and restoration. It's like, who does that look like? Well, that, that looks like Jesus, right? Or even here at, at Beacon, there's a number of people and families that you look at their lives and, and their lifestyles, and you're like, they, they look like Jesus. They are becoming like Jesus. Uh, I think of Kelly and Conrad. Uh, a lot of you guys know Kelly and Conrad. Kelly's probably the first person you met when you came to Beacon. Conrad probably pointed you to your seat. Uh, but these two, they're everywhere, and they're involved in everything. And, uh, and for years, they were part of the plant team getting Beacon off the ground, and they serve in a growth group. They serve on Sundays, like, all day long, and they're both discipling people, and they're raising Raising four children, four amazing children, and uh, and they make significant lifestyle decisions that are, are just different. So you know, several years ago, they they actually made the decision. You know what? We're we're not going to just kind of do what everybody else does. We're not going to just like buy a house and you know have all these the, the same expenses as everyone else. We want to free Kelly up to do some more ministry, kingdom-minded stuff. And so what they did is they actually decided to share a house with somebody. They bought a house with somebody else, so them and their four children can share a house with somebody else, so that their their expenses would be less, so that she could serve and, and do this kingdom work. And you're like, whoa, that's so why. why why do people do this? Because, because at some point, Jesus really captures their heart, and, and they are transformed into the image of Jesus. And, and that idea, they're, they're transformed. Like, I, I know these people. I don't know Bob Goff, but I know most of these people, and, and they weren't born looking like Jesus. They were born like everybody else, but somewhere along the way, they were actually transformed, and they're continuing to be transformed into the image of Jesus. See, transformation really is possible we can actually grow into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and I hope and I imagine that's why most of you are here. Now, I, I know some of you were dragged here today. Uh, I know some of you dads were dragged out because it's Father's Day and you're supposed to go to church on Father's Day. I don't understand that. I feel like dads, if you don't want to be here, this is your day. You should of all days get a free pass today. Uh, but I, I know some of you are dragged here. I know some of you are here because you, you, like, you feel guilty if you're not in church on Sunday. But I imagine for most of you, you're here because you really do want to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you want to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We're going to look at a very short passage that, uh, among other things, tells us, one, that, that transformation really is possible, that it's open to all of us, but also it tells us how we can be transformed. And it's a, a very short verse. We're going to look really, uh, you know, predominantly at this one verse. Some of the other verses around it will help uh, unpack what it, it's saying. But in this verse, the Apostle Paul, he tells us, that transformation is possible, that it's open to all of us, and, and, and what we can do to experience this transformation so that we grow to look more and more like Jesus Christ. So uh, verse 18 of chapter 3 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
since we're going to take you know, quite a bit of time to meditate on this verse, would you do me a favor? Would you read this verse with me out loud just so we can let it sink in a little bit more? All right. One, two, three. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, so a couple quick things right off the bat, uh, super plain and simple. He starts by saying, we all, right? This is a very inclusive statement. We all. He's not, not saying like, hey, this is something reserved for like spiritual elites, or this is something that's reserved for pastors or missionaries or something along those lines. This is, this is available to anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We all can be transformed. But he also says that we are being transformed, right? He says we all are being transformed. And this word being is really important because, uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's in the present tense, right? He doesn't say you were transformed. He doesn't say you will be someday transformed. He says you are being transformed. This is a present activity that as long as it's today, we can be experience transformation, Right? But the, the other reason why this being word is so important is because it's passive. He doesn't say, hey, you guys transform yourselves, right? Or you're transforming yourselves. No, he says you're being transformed. That someone else is actually transforming us, which he says is, is the spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming us. This is, this is really good news uh, from my perspective because he's saying we all can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's open to all of us. But there's a condition right? He says, we all who, what? We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Yes, we can be transformed. Yes, it can start today. Yes, it's the spirit who's going to do this work in us, but there's a condition for us being transformed, and it's that we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So if you just do that, you'll be fine. With unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. You guys good? All right, good day. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's kind of like a, a wordy statement. And the Apostle Paul, he's, he's great with words, and it's very poetic, uh, but it's also a little confusing. But the, the rest of the, the passage helps us understand. Like, what does it mean to contemplate the Lord's glory? Well, look down, uh, a few verses down, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed where? Displayed in the face of Christ. So he says, uh, the glory of the Lord is displayed in the face of Christ, right? But in verse 4, he said that the glory of Christ, the glory of Jesus, was displayed in the gospel. So if we want to contemplate the Lord's glory, where do we look? The gospel, right? Uh, we don't have to look to some nebulous idea. We can actually look into the gospel. And I just want to take a moment to explain what, what the word gospel means, in case you're not familiar. So uh, you've probably at least heard this word around, but it's a simple word that just means good news. 
So for 2,000 years, from like the moment Jesus came back from the dead, people went around saying that there's this good news. And so they'd come up and be like, hey, man, I got this really good news for you. You could save 15% or more on car insurance. Uh, no, <laughs> that is not the good news. Um, but they had this really good news, all right? And they'd come and they'd say, hey, you, you know how like sometimes you mess up at stuff and you don't really like do as good as you'd like to at stuff? Well, it's worse than you thought. You're total, you're, you're total screw up, to be honest. Like compared to God, uh, sounds like really good news, right? Uh, just wait. Uh, so yeah, no, like it, it's really bad. In fact, the stuff you call it sin uh, and God's really angry at sin. Like really, there's like wrath coming down on sin, sounding like really good news now, right? Uh, this wrath that's being poured out on sin, and, uh, and then it, it takes this turn. It says, but you know what, there, there's this guy, Jesus, and he wasn't just a guy. Yes, he was a human being, but he was also fully God. He was the son of God, and he came, and, and he lived a perfect life. Like all the ways that you screw up, he's never done it once. Perfect life, and he, he lived that perfect life on our behalf, and then, you know how God's wrath was like kind of coming down on you for all the stuff you did wrong? Well, Jesus decided, let's have that wrath of God be redirected to him. And all the wrath of God was redirected to Jesus so that the fullness of God's penalty for sin was poured out on Jesus and doesn't have to be poured out on you anymore. And so Jesus, as a result, was separated from the Father and he, he, he was crucified and killed. But it gets even better because that same Jesus, a few days later, he came back to life. He rose again, conquering sin and death. And he says he, he's, he's going to give you new life, that he will resurrect you. And, and then he took off and he said that same spirit that raised him from the dead, he, he sent to us to live with us, to guide us, to empower us, to be transformed. It's starting to sound like good news. And then he says, oh, wait, no, but it, it's, it's not done yet because he's going to come back for you. And he's going to take you to his home, and there's going to be no more suffering, no more sadness, no more tears. He's going to make it all better. He's going to undo all the pain, all the wrong. It's really good news. Really good news. So good that people just couldn't shut up about it. They're like, their lives were changed by this good news. And it changed how they saw themselves and how they saw other people. And, and this good news, it says that you now, you now, if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Not that you will be a child of God. Not that you're becoming a child of God. You are his child. And you are a co-heir with Christ of all the, the riches of heaven. That is yours if you're in Christ. This is really good news. This is the gospel that, that Paul is talking about when he says, contemplate the gospel. And he says, contemplate it. And, and the, the idea here is, is looking, in it, like looking into a mirror. And, and it's not like a glance. He's like, gaze into this. Seek it out. Study it. Like, try to understand the implications of this gospel message. And that will lead to transformation. But there's, there's another condition, right? He says, contemplate the Lord's glory. But he says, do it with an unveiled face, right? With unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. So this is a, a reference back to the Old Testament. You guys remember Moses? Uh, Moses, he gets the, the Ten Commandments, comes down, and he drops them. It's just a klutz. No. Uh, but the, they drop, they break. He, he goes up, and he gets the, the Ten Commandments again. But this time, as he's in like, the presence of the glory of God, he, he comes back down, and he's, he's glowing. Like, literally, his face is literally glowing. Not, like, metaphorically, not like when we tell a pregnant woman, like, you're positively glowing. Uh, 
And by the way, am I the only one that doesn't get that? I don't fully understand. Uh, but Moses comes down from the mountain and he's positively glowing. Uh, it's just like bioluminescence, total. Uh, I don't understand why. Like, this isn't like a regular thing that happens in the Bible that like people see the glory of God and then they start shining. Uh, sometimes I think God just likes to have fun. He's like, this will be, be fun. I'm just going to make him shine like a light bulb as he comes down. It's going to really freak him out. Uh, and it did. It freaked out the Israelites a little bit. Uh, and so because they were, they were kind of freaked out, Moses, what he did is he put a veil over his face whenever he would talk to the Israelites. And this is the image that, that Paul is latching onto. He's saying, you know, in this, this moment, as Moses was coming down, there's this veil that prevented the people from seeing the glory of God shining in the face of Moses. That veil acted as a barrier. And Paul goes on in verse 15 here. He says, even to this day, when Moses is read, and it's talking about the law of Moses, like the, the first five books of the Old Testament. It says, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So he latches onto this idea of the veil, and he says, it's not that it's just covering their faces. The veil is covering their hearts. And so as we, we contemplate the Lord's glory, our, our natural state is to have this veil that prevents the, the glory of the Lord that's displayed in the gospel from shining in our hearts. And it, it kind of, it, it's blocked from reaching the, the deep recesses uh, of our hearts. And he's saying, hey, if you want to experience transformation, what you need to do is you need to pull back the veil. Pull back the veil and let the light of the gospel shine into the, the deepest recesses of your hearts and the, the broadest planes of your heart. Because the gospel changes everything. It really does. The gospel changes everything. It, what it does is it gives us a new story. So as, as human beings, our hearts, we're, we're conditioned by stories. Like growing up, you either had your own stories, things that you experienced, or stories that you were told that shape how you view the world. And they, they kind of create for us a, a sense of logic that we see, like, if this happens, then this is going to happen. We know this because we, we either heard that it was said or we experienced it ourselves, and we have this whole logic built around these stories that we've heard. But if you introduce a new story, it creates a new logic. So uh, I don't know if you guys can remember this. Some of you, it's going to be easier than others. But do you remember when you were like probably seven or eight years old? Your parents or somebody probably told you along the way, hey, as you get older, you're going to be tempted to, you know, do things like go partying with friends and drinking, and, and you shouldn't do that. It's, it's not as fun as it looks, and it's dangerous and all of that. And when you were seven or eight, you said, oh, yeah, no, I believe you, right? Because uh, that, that was the only story that you had to condition that, that frame of mind. And you would even like see people doing it. You'd be like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they're doing that. Don't they know better? Uh, but then, of course, you become a teenager, right? And you start to hear some other stories. Like, you have friends that are like, actually, that was the story I heard too, but then I did it, and it was a lot of fun, and, you know, it seems pretty innocent, and so now you have these competing stories. And the story that you believe, the story that you believe is going to be the story that shapes how you behave. It's going to shape how you, your attitude about the whole situation, the story that you believe. And, and so the same happens with us, that we've been conditioned by all sorts of stories, our own experiences, stories we heard from other people. And we see the world. We see everything about life. We see our jobs, our, uh, our families, our, our parenting responsibilities, our uh, interpersonal relationships. We see our finances through the lens of all of these stories that have conditioned us over the years. 
But the gospel comes in and it, it tells us a new story. So uh, as part of my story, one of the things that I, my old story that had to be replaced with the gospel is uh, growing up, uh, this might sound strange, but growing up I was, I was just good at stuff. Uh, like a, a wide range of things. I know it's weird to say about yourself and it sounds like I'm boasting, but believe me, I'm not. Uh, but I was, I was like a pretty multi-talented person. Uh, like I was an artist and a builder and a state champion athlete and a top student and lead in my school musicals. And uh, I've been told I don't look terrible. Uh, so like there's, there's just a lot of things going for me <laughs> growing up. And I, I know you're thinking like, oh, poor Trevor, life was so rough. Uh, but just <laughs> wait with me for a second. Uh, this, this sounds like a good story and, and it was or whatever, but, but this, this particular story, uh, it, it built a logic in my life that every time I succeeded, I would receive affirmation from people, which felt great. And every time I didn't, perform well, uh, that affirmation wouldn't be there. And the logic that developed out of this story was that if I perform well, people will love me. And if I don't, their love will be absent. And this is the, the logic that I, I grew up with. It's kind of instilled by this story. And, and then, of course, when I, I got to high school as a, a teenager, it led to, like, really deep anxiety. Because my whole identity, my whole sense of self-worth was latched onto my performance. And if I performed well, then it was great. But as soon as I, I didn't, then it would all come crashing down. And then it got so bad that even when I was performing well, I, I still couldn't enjoy it because I was so nervous. Because my, my whole sense of self-worth was only as good as my next mistake. To the point where I just had crippling anxiety. I even had a couple of panic attacks as a, like a junior and senior uh, in high school. And, and it took years for me to realize that this old story can be replaced by the good news. That the, the gospel is actually a, a different story. It tells a different story, a better story. That the, in the gospel story, I am, I am not judged on my performance. And that's good because my performance isn't that great. Like even when I'm, I'm at like my best, even when I'm doing really awesome, scripture says my, my best deeds are like filthy rags. Uh, you know, like I, I get this picture in my head uh, of like a pet. I don't know if you ever had a pet, like a cat or a dog who like killed a bird and like brought it to you and presented it to you. And was like, here, I offer you this. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't want that. that. Like that's, there's nothing appealing about that. Like I get that image with my besties. I bring them to God and it's like a dead bird. And he's just like, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the image that comes to mind. So yes, my performance can never like get God to be like, oh, you're awesome. Uh, but he, he doesn't look at me based on my performance. He looks at me based on, on the one who performed perfectly every time. Because there is one. There's only one whose performance was perfect every time, and that was Jesus. And when God looks at me, he sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And he loves me, not based on my performance, but based on Jesus' performance. That is really good news, and that's a very different story. And my, my value, my sense of self-worth and like how much I'm worth isn't based on what I can contribute. My value is based on what he was willing to pay for me, which was his own son. <laughs> That's how much I'm worth. See, the gospel is a different story and it is a better story that shapes my reality in this situation in a completely different way. Now, I have to contemplate this. Remember, Paul doesn't say just 
like glance at the gospel. You got to contemplate this Uh, because I forget. Like each day I need to think about the reality, the implications of the gospel, where my my value and my identity are worth. Because like if I don't, like especially if I have to preach, I'm freaking out Uh, because I'm a performance junkie. Like I just, I I get all of my self-worth from that. And so if, if I forget, if I go back to the old story, then things come crashing down. I need to contemplate, keep coming back to the gospel, but not just in one area of life, in every area of life. I need to be pulling back the veil in every area of life. And as we do, transformation really does happen. As you start to contemplate, all right, what, is, what if the gospel, what if the story of the gospel became the dominant story with regard to my finances? How would that change how I budget my money and how I view my money? What if the, the dominant story when it came to my parenting was the gospel? Do you even realize that you're, you're, if you're a father, happy Father's Day once again, if you're a father and your kids are followers of Jesus, you are not their ultimate father. <laughs> he is. And you get to you know, step in for a few years to, to show them what it looks like to be loved by the father. What if that changes? What if everything we do, we we take the gospel story and we let that be the story through which we, we develop the logic and we see how things work. It would change everything. But the, the problem is, the problem is that stupid veil, right? Because the veil, the whole point of the veil is that it conceals, kind of keeps things out of sight. The veil says, you know what? The gospel's good for that stuff, but you don't really need it here. The gospel's good for, you know, your religious stuff, but it's not really good for, you know, how you're going to treat your wife. <laughs> or the gospel's really good for, you know, getting you to come to church, but it's not really good for how you're going to interact with your boss or how you do your job. But the reality is that the gospel has implications in all of these areas. It's a new story. It's a better story. But this veil, it keeps popping up. And the question is, how do you see what you can't see, right? If it conceals your vision, how do you see what you can't see? And and here's just a a few uh, ideas for how to kind of practically see this veil. Uh, And the the first is just look for it. I think a lot of the reason why we don't see the areas of our lives that aren't being influenced by the gospel, where the gospel isn't the dominant story, it's just because we aren't looking for it. It's not even on our radar. We aren't even thinking in those terms. Look for it. Uh, But also, I think there's other times where uh, we aren't looking for it because we don't want to find it, (laughs) right? There's certain areas in your life where you're like, I know this doesn't exactly look like Jesus, but I don't know if I really want this area to look like Jesus because Jesus gave up a lot. You know, he was a servant and he was kind of taken advantage of by people. I don't know if I want that for my life. Sometimes I I think we aren't looking for it because we don't want it. But just with that, be be reminded how much he loves you, that God is for you. He's not looking to take from you. He has everything. He's trying to give. That the gospel, as we, we apply it to our lives, this is good for us. It's good news for every area of life, even if it means dramatic changes. The second way to see it is to, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. Uh, one of the, uh, the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is to convict us. Uh, and I know if you're like me, you don't want conviction. Like, that's not a good feeling. 
but it is good for us. Because what the, the Holy Spirit is doing when he convicts us is he's just pointing it out. He's saying, like, hey, this area right here, it looks like this area might be, be functioning with an old story. <laughs> There's an old story, an old logic that's determining how you, you act and think and your attitude here. Maybe you want to think about what, what are the gospel implications here so don't just respond to it, but, but ask the Holy Spirit. Say, you know, pray that the Holy Spirit will actually show you, to point out these areas in your life that maybe there's a veil. Maybe you haven't let the gospel become the dominant story. Uh, the fourth is ask people close to you. Uh, this one's tough because who likes to be criticized? Uh, but people around you are going to be able to see things that you can't see, right? Uh, so uh, when I was a kid, I'd have this, uh, this thought every so often. Uh, I, I imagine you didn't because you're not as weird as me. But I, I had this thought every so often, like, what if I'm crazy? Like, what if I'm, like, deluded, but, like, but everyone was just kind of, like, being nice about it? Like, I would never know. Like, maybe I'm just, like, weird and, like, mentally just to, like, a toddler or something, and everyone's just nice. Like, I would never know. And it would be a passing thought because I know people aren't that nice. But, uh, <laughs> uh Anybody else ever? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> maybe I really am crazy. But, but when, you, when, when something's like off in, in how you perceive things, uh, it, it blinds you to all sorts of stuff. Like you, you just can't see what you can't see. And so this is where other people come in handy. Other people who are close to you to just point out and say, hey, I, I think there might be something off here. And, and I know, it, like, my tendency when I hear that is to get defensive and be like, well, make excuses and say they don't get it or whatever. But if, if the people who are close to you know you and love you, and especially if, like, multiple people all agree, like, hey, there's something off here, you should, you should probably listen to that. Like, they're, you're, they're probably not the ones with the problem in this situation. It might be that there's something here that God is trying to point out to you through other people that there's an area in your life that right now it's not functioning under the gospel story. There's an, an old story here. Uh, lastly, and this one's tough, but it's good. It, it's act out against it. See, uh, we can deal with some of these things in our minds and feel like, oh, I got it under control. It's all done. I took care of it. I was able to think about it differently. Uh, but it, it's different when you actually do something. Uh, I, I think of the rich young ruler. You guys remember the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler? Uh, there's this rich young ruler who comes along to Jesus and asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. And believe it or not, this is the second time in, in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is asked this question. Both times he gives different answers, and neither of the answers are what you'd expect. But this particular time, he tells the rich young ruler, go, sell all of your possessions and give your money to the poor. And at first it's like, wait a minute, that's not how you gain eternal life. What is, what is Jesus talking about? Doesn't Jesus know the gospel? Uh, but, then, but then you realize what Jesus is doing is Jesus is actually pointing out the, the veiled portion of this guy's heart. What's concealed to this guy is that right now he's, he's believing this old story, this old story that tells him that his security and his worth and his identity are all linked to his wealth. That if he gets rid of his wealth, his world's going to come falling apart. And Jesus is saying, you need to see this. You need to see this is, this is idolatry. You're, there's something wrong in your heart. You need this new story of the gospel. But it says that this rich young ruler just walked away sad because he had so much money and he just couldn't part with it. See, 
when we, when we act out against the things that, you know, like say you sense maybe in this area of life, maybe I could use a little help. Maybe in this area of life, I'm not really relying on the gospel. Even if I convince myself I have, do something to act out against it and your heart will tell you how you're doing in this area. Because either like the, the rich young ruler, you're going to be like, no, shut it down. I'm out of here. Or, or it's going to tear a hole in this veil. It might be a little painful, but it's going to tear a hole in this veil that actually allows the gospel to shine through and change you. I remember before I met my wife, uh, I, was, I was single for a little while, and I hated every second of it. Uh, and I did everything I could to not be single, uh, and I just failed over and over again. But I got to the point where I realized, like, it, there was something wrong in my heart. Like, I was, I was like, worshiping this. Uh, there was, like, some sort of idolatry. And I got to that place, and I convinced myself, oh, this is a problem, and I, I worked it out in my head. I thought I had taken care of it, but it was still just recurring. So eventually, I got to the point where I was like, I need to do something. I need to do something. And, and so I, I actually said, all right, I'm, I'm giving up. <laughs> not, not forever, but I, said, I, like, I closed down all of the online dating accounts. I kind of walked away from things, and I said, all right, I'm just, for, for a period of time, I'm almost like fasting. I'm going to fast from this thing because it, it's gotten to the place in my life where it is not, it, it's no longer good. I'm not acting in line with the gospel. I'm acting in line with this, this old story where, you know, I'm, nobody loves you until somebody, or what is it? Uh, you're nobody until somebody loves you? That's it. There you go. That's the old story. Uh, uh, but the reality is I was somebody because I was loved by God and cherished, and, and I could have spent the rest of my life being single, and, and my value and my worth and my, uh, my affirmation was real and good, and, and it took a long time, and I actually had to fast from these things in order for the truth of the gospel to replace that, that old story. And so doing stuff is really good. I know it's scary, but I encourage you, it, test yourself in some of these areas where you feel like maybe I'm, I'm not thinking about the gospel implications here. Just fast from something. Give something up. Not, like, make sure it's uncomfortable. Like, if it's comfortable, like, if it's easy enough, then it won't, it won't tear the veil. It needs to be something to tear that veil open so the light of the gospel gets to shine through. Because this is where transformation happens. And it happens. Like, it really is possible. Because think about it. Even just practically, think about it. The gospel is the story of Jesus, right? The gospel is the story of Jesus. So if the gospel becomes the dominant story in every single area of your life, who will you look like? Jesus. You're replacing this old story with a new story, and now the gospel becomes the dominant story in every area of your life, and you're looking like Jesus. We're transformed into the image of Jesus. It's not something we do on our own. It, it, it can't happen without the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, empowering us and convicting us and stretching us. All of this is absolutely necessary, but the Holy Spirit isn't going to do it without you either. And this is where we get to engage by, by removing the veil and contemplating, contemplating the implications of the gospel in every area of life. And I know that's complicated. I know for a lot of you, you're, you're wrestling with what the gospel is. Uh, you can keep learning that. It's going to be a lifetime of learning the gospel and its implications. But start today. You have enough to start today to begin thinking what you know to be true 
of the gospel, the, the truths of the gospel, you know to be true about who Jesus is, about his, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and his certain return, you, these things will, will tell you a new story that you can begin working out those implications. Read through the New Testament, because most of the New Testament, it starts with telling you what the gospel is, this is Jesus, and then it goes into what the church did with the gospel, and then the rest of it is, this is what happens if you believe the gospel in every area of life. And Paul kind of, and, and Peter and John and the epistles break out what it looks like to be transformed by the gospel in the deepest recesses of your hearts. I just, I can't encourage you enough to commit to this work because transformation is possible. You could be, you could be more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. A year from now, you could look back and, and you could see that, that you have been transformed and you're continuing to be transformed as the gospel, it reaches into the depths and spreads across the breadth of your whole life, every area, and you look more like Jesus. I, I look forward to the day that we could all say, wow, you, you look like Jesus to each other. Just look around the room and be like, you, you look like Jesus. And you look like Jesus to the world around you. What we're doing, you know, we have this lofty goal at Beacon. We want to take the love of Jesus to our neighbors. But if we're going to be effective at this, we first got to take the love of Jesus to our hearts. All of it. Pull back the veil. Let it change us so that we can love like Jesus loved. Let me pray for you. Father, it is uh, it, it just awesome news. It's great news that we can stand before you free from shame, free from guilt, knowing that there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ, knowing that, that we don't have to perform well to earn your approval, that, that Jesus performed perfectly for us, that we don't have to make up for what we've done wrong because Jesus has already paid that price in full, knowing that we can come before you and Father, I pray that the, the truth of the gospel and, and all of its implications will be on our minds and on our hearts that we'll be thinking about them, chewing on them, figuring out how does this apply to every area, every arena. And that as we, we do this, as we remove the veil and contemplate your glory, that you will uh, stay true to this promise that you will transform us through the power of your spirit and that you'd be glorified in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.